hot, cold, somewhere in the middle? How would you define your prayer life? Wherever we find ourselves, I hope the desire is for something hot. Uh, something that's more committed, more time, more commitment in prayer, more time in prayer, more passion in prayer, more results in prayer, uh, more blessings through prayer, more of the presence of God in our lives, the presence of God in our families, and the presence of God in our struggles. And so we're spending a few weeks looking at prayer together, and we're asking the question that the disciples asked, and making the request that the disciples made in Luke chapter 11, Lord, teach us to pray. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word. We believe that, that God speaks to us through the Bible. And so we're going to the Word, we're going to the Bible, and we're trying to lay a foundation, a biblical foundation for prayer. What it is, how it works, and ultimately, what prayer can do for us, what prayer can do through us, and what prayer can do to us. We're going to look today at Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. We encourage you to follow along in those Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you, we've got those Bibles in the pews in front of you. And if you're looking at those blue Bibles in the pews in front of you, it's page 912, Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. Let me give you a little background. Back in, in Acts chapter 3, uh, Peter and John have been arrested. They were arrested for healing a man in public, and for teaching about Jesus. And so they were taken in by the Jewish authorities, and they were uh, spoken to by the authorities. They were told not to talk anymore about Jesus, not to preach anymore, not to teach anymore, not to talk anymore about the Savior, and not to talk anymore about the resurrection. Just, just stop it. And so they were sent home. And when they got home, they didn't, they didn't call their lawyers and say that they had been persecuted because of their faith. They didn't even call Fox News and have them do a story about their persecution. They didn't go on Facebook and set up a page and say, like and share this with your friends if, if you're against religious persecution. They didn't do any of those things. What were they thinking? Instead... They got everyone together. I love the way it says they got their friends together. And they prayed. We begin there in verse, verse 23. Now, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. And for truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The place 
where they were meeting was shaken. I think you would remember that. I think that would make an impression on you. I've never prayed for an earthquake, and I've never had an earthquake happen because of my prayers, but they prayed and the place where they were meeting was shaken. It was a sign for them. It was a message that they understood. It was a message that, that God had showed up, <laughs> that God was there. Uh, their prayers didn't just bounce off the ceiling. They had been heard. I think we could all use that kind of assurance from time to time. Maybe you've had those long nights in prayer where you just lay there pouring out your heart and after a while you just stop and think, Lord, are you even there? Do you even hear what I'm saying? Am I just talking to myself? For us, the assurance that, that God is listening, it, it doesn't necessarily come from a prayer that shakes the place where we're praying. It doesn't necessarily come from an earth-shaking prayer, but it comes from praying the kind of prayer that they prayed. When we do that, we, we can know that God listens and we can trust that God acts. So there's certain qualities about this prayer that I think we should strive for in our own prayers. For instance, for one thing, from this prayer, we see how important it is that our prayers be rooted in Scripture. Now last week, we looked at Luke chapter 11. And uh, there in Luke chapter 11, we have Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. By the way, my Sunday school class out here, we're studying the Lord's Prayer for the next several weeks. If you'd like to join us for Sunday school, there's also coffee and donuts, which is always nice. Uh, but uh, we're, we're studying the Lord's Prayer for the next several weeks. But you remember when Jesus says, this is how you should pray. When you pray, He says, say this. And He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. That's how Jesus teaches us to pray. To, to pray. But you notice His disciples don't do that here. Instead, they begin their prayer with this overpowering picture of the majesty and the power and the sovereignty of Almighty God. They start there in verse 24. It says, Sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. It's a, it's a picture of a God who created everything and therefore He is powerful enough to handle whatever problem is affecting me today. And so then they continue on in their prayer in verse 25, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers gather, to, gather together against the Lord and against His anointed. And what you realize from reading that is they are praying Scripture. They are praying Scripture back to God. Those Verses right there are, are wrapped up. They are based in the words from Isaiah chapter 37, verses 16 through 20, and Psalm, uh, Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. They're praying Scripture. An amazing and powerful thing happens when we root our prayers in the Bible. Through, through God's Word, we can know God's will. We can know God. Through God's Word, we can, we can know His will. We can understand His will. And so when we pray His Word, we are praying His will. I like to think of it that when we pray the Word of God, we are praying God's heart back to Him. When we pray the Word of God, we're praying God's heart back to Him. Now, it should be obvious that one condition of this, you've got to read it. <laughs> you've got to know the Word of God to be able to do that. You've got to be familiar with with the Word of God. And these disciples, they, their lives revolved around the sharing and the memorization of Scripture. And so they had, this, they had this huge reservoir of verses in their hearts and in their minds that they could draw from to, to fuel their prayers. 
We're going to need to know the Word of God if we're going to do that in our prayers. And you guys have heard me do this many times. And, and what's really neat as your preacher is after a while I start hearing you doing the same thing. You've heard me pray Scripture and I, I hear you praying Scripture. Every now and then we're, we have a situation uh, where we need peace. Maybe it's peace in a relationship. Maybe it's peace between a couple of peoples. Maybe it's peace in our church. Maybe it's peace in a family. Maybe it's peace of heart, peace of mind in ourselves. And so every now and then I will pray and I've heard you pray as well, Lord. Isaiah tells us Jesus is the Prince of Peace. So where Jesus reigns, one of the marks of His reign will be peace. And so, Father, I want You to reign in this relationship. We want You to reign in this church so we can truly know peace. We want You to reign in this conflict that we're experiencing here so we can find peace. We want You to reign in our hearts so that we can find peace. We end up praying Scripture back to God. Sometimes we have those anxious moments. And so in those anxious moments, very often I've heard people pray, and I've prayed before, Lord, Philippians 4, verse 6, says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and petition, along with thanksgiving, present your request before the Lord and the peace of Christ that God will guard your hearts and minds and, and, and all understanding. And so I stop and I pray, Lord, Bible says don't be anxious. I'm not going to be anxious. Sometimes that works. <laughs> sometimes it, it doesn't work. Because what I realize sometimes is I'm not praying to God. I'm, telling, I'm just telling myself, stop it. Stop being anxious. And, and sometimes that doesn't, that doesn't do it. It's so like the disciples, maybe we go to the Word and maybe we find that picture of God's power. I love where they go in Isaiah 37, verse 16. Isaiah 37, 16 says, O Lord of hosts, and I've talked about this before and you're going to hear it again as we look at prayer through this series. O Lord of hosts, it literally means God of armies. You're calling the God of armies to come in against whatever problem you're facing. It's not just our Father. It's God of armies. Bring your armies against this. He says, O Lord of hosts, O God of armies, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, You are the God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, You have made the heavens and the earth. So since I'm trusting in a God that's bigger than anything, I'm going to trust you with this situation. I'm going to trust you with this hurt that's keeping me awake tonight. I'm going to trust you with this disagreement that we've got. I'm going to trust you with this problem that we are facing right now. And what we see through the Bible, what we see through Scripture, is that God, God acts through His Word. You notice that? God acts through His Word. You, you've, you've read Genesis 1, right? Genesis 1 talks about you know the... God created the heavens and the earth. God spoke this into, into existence. There it was. You know, God, God said, let there be light. There was light. So God acts with His words. He's not like you and me. You know, if I walk into a room and I say, let there be light, I better flip a switch. And you know what? Maybe the batteries, or maybe the bulbs burned out. Maybe the wiring's bad. Not here, of course. But, but you know, maybe there's a problem. And so my word and my actions are, don't always connect. But with God, He speaks it into existence. God's word is His action. He acts on His word. And so when, it, when Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, the word of God is living and active. I can know whatever problem I'm facing, whatever difficulty I'm in, whatever situation is affecting my life and causing 
a lack of peace or causing anxiousness, that the Word of God is living and active in that moment. And I can trust His presence through His Word and I can pray this right back to Him. You know, we don't just read this to get information about God. We, we read it to know Him. We read it to know His heart. We read it to know His voice. To meet Him here and say, God, here's my problem. Here's my anxiety. Just take it away from me. I want to turn it over to You. Now we can do that when our prayers are rooted in Scripture. And that's what these early disciples showed us in their prayer. The other thing that they show us in their prayer is the importance that our, that our prayer is not only rooted in Scripture, but that our prayer reflects the challenges that we're facing. And I think it's important that we see that as secondary. The Word of God has to be primary. That's what we're doing with this series is we're, we're seeing that the Word of God is primary even in, even in prayer. We're going to lay a biblical foundation for prayer. Something that's solid, something that's firm, and something that's lasting. Too often, our prayers are simply fueled by whatever challenge we're facing at the time. So, somebody is sick, and, and suddenly we go to God in prayer because of that sickness. You know, they're dealing with a, a rough diagnosis, or they're dealing with a difficult test, or something that's coming up, and so we, we go to God in that because of that sickness. Or there's a world situation, and suddenly we're, we're praying about that world situation, or, or we're, we're facing a particular decision in our families, or in our jobs, or a problem that we're facing, and suddenly we go to God in prayer with that, and that's what ends up fueling our prayers. And when we do that, our prayers become reactionary. There's no direction for them. There's no focus for them. And there's no focus. There's no focus to them. There's no voice from God directing us in our prayers. And honestly, when our prayers are simply reacting to situations, there's no relationship with God. We're simply going to Him to get Him to fix this. And so in those times, we end up praying. Sometimes in those times, we end up praying for God to do things that He can't do. I want you to hear me out on this. Sometimes we end up praying for God to do things that He cannot do. Now, I just got done telling you from Isaiah 37 that God is above all and that He's all-powerful and He's in control of everything. But there are some things that because of God's loving nature, there are some things that He simply cannot do because to do them would be to go against His nature. So when you have that child who comes to a point in their lives when they walk away from their faith and they make decisions that you would rather they not make, sometimes we end up praying, God, You change their mind for them. God, You, you make them do things right. You make them stop doing that. God gave them free will, didn't He? He gave us all the ability to choose. That's, that's part of His love. He, he allows us to choose our path. And so, no amount of praying, God, change their mind for them, is going to get God to change their mind for them. He, he refuses to do that. He refuses to, uh, to go against His will. That's not how God chooses to work in the world and where He's given us free will. So, so you notice in the prayer here in Acts, after they've prayed God's Word to them, they, they then begin to pray about their need. It goes on into verse 27. And they say, For truly in this city... There were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined them to do. Now, I want you to keep in mind, this is still current events. 
The crucifixion was just a few months earlier. Maybe, maybe just three to six months earlier. The crucifixion was, was just a, a few months earlier than, uh, than what we're, we're reading here. And they're still very aware of this. They're still very aware. They did this to Jesus. They, they crucified Him. They could crucify us as well. And so they're aware of their current need, but they continue to apply the Word of God. You know, you, you go back just a few verses there to where they're quoting Psalm 2. And again, there in verse 25 from Psalm 2, it says, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed one. And again, that's Psalm 2. You know, if, you, if you read on in Psalm 2, verses 4 through 6 go on there. And it says, He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. And He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury. I love that. Yeah, their prayer was a reminder for themselves. They may have crucified our Lord. They may have locked up our leaders. They locked up Peter and they locked up John. They may have told us not to preach or teach anymore about Jesus, but they haven't won. And we can have the confidence that God will speak to them. If they won't listen to us, God will speak to them according to His wrath. And as much pain and turmoil as they can cause us, they, He will terrify them in His fury. So what we see next is exactly what we can see in our lives and in our prayer also. Because when our prayers are rooted in the Word of God, when our prayers reflect the current challenges that we're facing, then our prayers do another thing. They also rally us to action. Prayers rally us to action. And this is something that's so essential, and too often we don't see it and we don't get it. Too often prayer is an excuse for us to do nothing. Well, you've got this problem facing you. Well, what have you done about it? Well, we prayed. That's all. We've, we've prayed about it. Ball's in God's court now. It's up to Him. He'll come up with something. And yet at the same time, we realize we're the, we're the church, right? And the church is the body of Christ, right? The church is the body of Christ. So we are His... These are hands. We are His hands. We are His feet. When we speak, we hopefully speak His Word. He is the head of the church, so He's directing us. He, he, he's filled us with the Holy Spirit. You got that, right? He's filled us with the Holy Spirit. God's active portion of Himself is within us. Active and alive and moving and, and, and focusing us and, and calling us. So he's, he's filled us with His Holy Spirit. He's equipped us with His gifts. He's given us His message. So if your prayers don't lead to you doing something or us doing something, then we've said, God, your plan's not good enough. <laughs> this plan of yours for the church to be the body of Christ? No, no, no. We can't do that. This is up to you, God. Verse 29 says their prayer was, And now, Lord, look upon the threats, look upon their threats, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. I want you to notice right there, there's something very different about their prayer from the way that we might pray. Because if it was us, I'm afraid what we would pray is, Lord, you make them stop persecuting us. Make them stop 
picking on us, make them stop telling us not to preach anymore. Don't they know that we're a Christian nation? Lord, put us in touch with a good lawyer. That's not their prayer. Instead, their prayer was, allow us to speak with boldness. They've told us not to speak. You allow us to continue to speak with boldness uh, in the face of these troubles. And, And they marry that. They marry their own desire to serve with action that only God can do. He says there in verse 30, while you, you know, you allow us to continue to speak your word with boldness, and then while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Their prayer actually became, God, call us alongside what you're already doing here. Allow us to serve alongside you in what you're doing. Let us work together. You know, the very next passage in in Acts chapter 4, it's one of those passages that we consider to be foundational for the church. And it's, it's a passage that we that we continue to strive for in our relationships and in the things that we do in our community and the things we do for each other. You know, you look on down into verse 32, and it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And I want to suggest to you that we've made a mistake when we divorce verse 32 from the previous prayer. Because verse 32 doesn't just stand alone by itself and say, well, this is what the early church was like. I think it's a response to the prayer. They were being persecuted. Two of their greatest leaders, most well-known leaders, had just been arrested. And the question is, how do we protect ourselves? What do we have to do? We have to band together. They crucified Jesus. They, They arrested James and John, or Peter and John. What if you're next? What if... What if I'm next? If you're next, who's going to take care of your family? I'll take care of your family. Because everything that I have belongs to you. Everything that you have we'll share. And we'll all take care of each other. And if they come for us, we'll be ready for them. Their prayer prompted them not only to action, but to greater support for one another and a greater love and a deeper love in the body. There's a really great prayer in Psalm 86, that that kind of ties all of this together. Psalm 86 is, is this little prayer that pulls it all together. In verse 11, it says, Teach me your way. Teach me your way, O Lord. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. You teach me this, teach me your way, and my life will adjust to it. I will walk in the truth that you show me. It's a call to know God's will, to know His Word, to know His way, so that our walk, our lives, conform to it. And then it goes on and says, unite my heart to fear your name. And I wonder, what if, what if our prayers began there? Unite my heart to fear your name. What if our prayers began with that, with a desire for our heart to be like God's heart? Would our prayers stop being, Lord, you've got to fix this. Lord, you've got to change this. Lord, you've got to take care of them. You've got to stop them. Lord, you've got to take care of this problem. Tell them to to stop hurting me. Tell them to make this problem go away. But what if if our prayers began with, with us? Lord, bring me into such a relationship with you that I know your will, that I know your heart, and that I know your presence. Now, when they prayed this prayer, the response was immediate. 
You know, that doesn't always happen with prayer. Response isn't always immediate, but it was here. And I think it was immediate not only for them to learn from, but it was immediate for what we can gain from it as well. It says there in verse 31, And when they had prayed, <clears throat> the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. The place where they were meeting was shaken. That had to tell them something, right? That's got to have some meaning. You know, you go back to Exodus. God calls the people together on Mount Sinai. And what happened to Mount Sinai? The mountain was shaken. That was told them that God showed up. You know, you go back to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah has this encounter with God. He goes into the temple, and there's God. There is the throne. And Isaiah says the doorposts of the temple and the foundations of the temple were shaken. And it was a sign to Isaiah that God had showed up. Here, God shakes the place where they're meeting. And it is God's way of saying, I am with you. Just as I was with them on Mount Sinai, just as I was with Isaiah, as I was with them then, I am with you now. God's response was immediate. And their response was immediate. It says, filled with the Holy Spirit. They continued they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. They had prayed, Lord, enable us to speak with boldness. They, they did that. The, the answer to prayer was immediate. <coughs> their prayer fueled their faithfulness to God. That's what, that's what prayer does. Prayer doesn't get us out of serving God. Prayer doesn't get us out of of speaking with boldness. Prayer doesn't get us out of those situations. Prayer fuels our faithfulness. That's what prayer does. It doesn't get you out of serving. It doesn't get somebody else to do it for you. It fuels our faithfulness. Do you remember Jesus in the garden? What He prayed to His Father? Lord, if it be Your will, let this cup pass away from me. Let this cup pass. And yet, not, not my will but your will. There was a submission to Jesus' prayer. Submission that He showed us. <clears throat> submission that He lived with, He died with. A submission that He modeled for us. That submission has brought us to this table, brought us to this place because He was willing to take the cup. Because He was willing to allow His body to be broken. You know, prayer above all else is not just a list of things that we need. Sometimes it becomes that. Lord, I need this, I need that, I've got to have one of these. Prayer is supposed to be communion with God. That's what you and I were created for. We were created to be in relationship with God. We were created to know Him. First thing that happened to Adam and Eve after the fall, what did they do? They went and hid. They didn't want God to see them. They, they weren't in relationship with Him anymore. There's a reason we call this communion. Because it's all about the relationship that that we have and the extent that God would go to call us back to Him. The extent that He would call us to. The extent that He would go to to know us so that we could know Him. So that we could know His presence. I'm going to pray. Yeah. Get ready to come to the table.